Welcome to Partisan Gardens. We can't wait any longer. For a tech breakthrough, climate apocalypse, the revolution, or a reform of the USDA loan system. On Partisan Gardens, we know climate catastrophe is here, and it's our food system's dead end. Here we see sustainable fine dining and ecological destruction, hunger and obesity, extreme wealth and immense poverty. We must be frank about reality to reckon with our options. We must choose sides and become partisans of a new way to live and grow food. This alternative path is already under construction. Through the experiments and struggles of food service and agricultural workers, we are figuring out how to create food systems that will nourish a livable world for us all. Partisan Gardens will feature stories from kitchen staff, new small farmers, undocumented slaughterhouse organizers, agroecology researchers, black farming cooperatives, urban gardeners, indigenous land stewards, permaculturists, and countless others exploring this field of experimentation. Let those of us who refuse to wait proceed together. The current food system has failed. And we are on the side of nourishment and care. For our show this time, we visit the small city of Carbondale, Illinois. Carbondale is a shrinking college town at the southern end of the state, with a long history of racist segregation. Since winter 2019, though, a broad range of residents has made a wager on a different future. Grasping climate change and white supremacy by the horns, they've laid out a plan for municipal-level transformation, calling for police funds to be redirected to local structures of care and sustainability, with the aim of rendering irrelevant the economic system which has failed them. Their food autonomy plan is at the core of their proposal and has led to the growth of a constellation of gardens and food distribution structures aimed at empowering communities and addressing long-standing inequities. We visited Carbondale in the summer, spoke to people involved in the food autonomy projects in the area, and took a tour of some of the gardens there. We also talked to people about how their food growing and food distribution practices have been changing during the coronavirus pandemic. Up first, we have Nick, who gives insight into the origins of the Carbondale Spring, followed by a tour guided by Jessica of the various gardening projects they're undertaking as part of the Food Autonomy Initiative. The Carbondale Spring is a vision for transforming our small city of Carbondale into a kind of model city tackling the deep challenges of our time, the social, economic, and ecological challenges. It began in 2019 during a uh, municipal election in which a number of people who had been organized in this town were basically worried that there would be a municipal election that would not really discuss the actual challenges that we're facing. As a city, we're in a kind of economic nosedive because it has been basically a company town. It's been a university town, and that's been the main employer, but the university has lost half of its student population in the last decade, gone from about 20,000 to about under 10,000 students. And uh, it didn't really seem like anybody had a plan for what to do next. And so a number of us had done some research into the city budget and realized that Carbondale has double the police force of most cities this size. The national average for police officers per 10,000 residents is 17 officers to 10,000 residents. 
We have about 32 officers for every 10,000 residents. It's, it's a city of about 20,000 people. So what we proposed was a defunding of the police, of reducing the police budget actually just to an average size police force and redirecting that money to a series of four initiatives that we put forward. The first was what we called food autonomy, the production and distribution of food outside of the market or government programs to build a local food system here and to demand that the city actually pay people to grow healthy food locally and distribute it as a matter of public health and welfare. The second initiative is what we call the team of care workers. This would be people who are unarmed, could be reached through a non-police emergency line actually, to have people who are actually trained to intervene in mental health crises and uh, resolve disputes between neighbors and all sorts of things that the police are currently tasked with that actually bringing a gun into that situation is inappropriate and unnecessarily escalatory. The third initiative of the Carbondale Spring was a cooperative business fund, and that would be a fund that could transition existing businesses into worker-owned cooperatives, start new worker-owned cooperatives, you know, and that, that fund would be biased toward building the kind of ecological conditions of the kind of economy that we would need in order to deal with the disasters ahead. And then finally, a renewable energy fund to make renewable energy resources available to people that are otherwise priced out of them. And so we put this kind of massive program forward within the context of a municipal election. And uh, it actually got a lot of attention and managed to kind of shape the public debate. And uh, some candidates endorsed it, some of whom were elected, others of whom weren't. But basically for the last year and a half, a few dozen people in town, I think we have uh, 50 official members in the town, but the support for it extends quite beyond that. We've been working hard to kind of realize each of these initiatives, continuing research, making connections with people all across the globe who are working on similar projects, and really kind of trying to translate these ideas into things that are actually fundable, that are concrete enough where we can potentially actually receive city money to do them and enact them. And we've had a surprising amount of successes in the process, and um, it still feels like the beginning, too. So that's cool. We proposed this idea of food autonomy as, as a way to kind of conceptualize what it would mean to build a food system that wasn't based upon industrial agriculture and all of its climate-destroying and soil-destroying and water-destroying and earth-destroying processes that are involved with it. And it was also really the, the idea came in the midst of a threatened budget cuts to SNAP benefits, where all of a sudden a number of people throughout the town that we were organizing with realized that thousands of people in our area were likely to, to be facing deep food insecurity. And then that's only been exacerbated by the conditions around the pandemic. Since the beginning with the Food Autonomy Project, we've been trying to build relationships with people that were already gardening in town, to build relationships with farmers in the surrounding region who kind of share our values, and to think about what building a food system that was premised upon meeting the basic needs of people within the the area by growing food within the area and, and basically conceiving of a food social safety net. We had already built a coalition of different gardens and had started kind of sharing resources and volunteers across them. And then when the pandemic hit, we ended up getting a grant from a local philanthropist, somebody who 
wasn't really a part of any existing grant making structure, but he had some money and he really liked our ideas and shared our concern that the pandemic was going to deepen the food insecurity that people were experiencing. That has really kicked our whole project into high gear. And what it's allowed us to do is to work with a number of different organizations who are running different gardens to pay people to be kind of point people, coordinators of each of the gardens, and then to give them a labor budget to also pay people from the area who either have skills doing organic and permaculture gardening uh, or are just very dedicated to learning those skills. Those paid workers have also been supported by an amazing network of volunteers who have just come to love their garden projects. And so we've helped those different organizations to build up and expand their capacity and then we've also been distributing food directly to neighbors around each of the gardens, just harvesting and packing up bags and knocking on doors and handing them out. And then what we can't get rid of through just direct distribution, we've been giving to a local restaurant, which has transformed into a community kitchen since they shut down with the pandemic. And so then they've been taking that produce and putting it into mass meals that they're serving to different nonprofit organizations and like the Boys and Girls Club and other things. And, and so that's been one major part of what we've done over the last couple of months, which has been really successful. And then the other part is we've been building a, a dozen chicken coops um, as, as a part of that uh, grant we got. So we wor are working with a local architectural designer who put together a, a model chicken coop. We built a prototype and then got to use a local factory to mass produce the chicken coop kits, which have been distributed at people's houses and which now we're in the process of constructing. This is a part of our kind of vision of what food autonomy is, that it, you know, it's not just vegetables, although obviously vegetables are important, but we want to really be building up protein sources and building a community resilience around food. So we've been we've offered these chicken coops to people on the condition that they share any surplus eggs with their neighbors to try to build neighborhood relationships around sharing protein sources. Washington Street Garden right now which is downtown Carbondale and historically was mostly the black side of town um, throughout history. This area was actually all businesses and they were mostly all black owned businesses when they called it the levee for some reason so there's railroad tracks here right next to the garden right next to where, where we're at and that was the, the racial divide. In Carbondale for a long time and the Northeast still is mostly um, a neighborhood with people of color both renters and homeowners and there's a long history to that in Carbondale so this garden used to have buildings here it hasn't in like 10-15 years I remember when they tore down the, the oldest building in Carbondale right there in that corner and it was very sad and the, in fact the lot itself is still part of the historic designation. I just learned they can't rebuild there without making it exactly like the historic model which is like very unlikely that anyone's ever going to do that. So I'm really going to try and get use of those lots over there for the garden. So it's about four or five years old and basically some folks who were involved with the flyover info shop at the time started gardening 
on that lot there and they started putting lots of medicinal things in and perennial plants and um, I believe this the lot right next so that one was quickly taken over. No one ever asked permission, which is really nice. And eventually did like some sort of retro relationship building with the person who owns all of this, who owns that building. Um, but they're really not in town a lot. They don't say a lot. As long as the city doesn't bug them, they don't bug us. We just kind of do whatever we want, which isn't much, which is growing plants. Um, we borrow water from the house over here, which is a part of a religious community in town, but that's actually like a health center. And so they let us borrow the water or they just donate water, basically. We are trying to leverage uh, some municipal support for the gardens and get the city to pay for taps and for constant water use at the gardens and maybe eventually some some more things like compost and stuff but our city doesn't have a lot of that infrastructure we're still learning about like what's the most effective and efficient way to do water we would love to capture it off that roof and like all this but we don't like actually have access to like those kinds of engineering resources or like the people on the ground to like make that happen realistically so for now it's city water right now we are growing a lot of we started with some spring vegetables our sort of logistics of who is organizing got kind of started late um, we were hoping for a plan and um, it didn't kind of come to fruition so I sort of stepped in and generated one made a map got a bunch of veggies and stuff seeds and started stuff and at home um, so we have kale, we have onions, there's actually some milkweed that sowed itself over here. We're going to have to transplant out collards. Um, we will be doing mustards again in the fall with our collards. We have herbs like cilantro and dill and basil and trying to keep rosemary. We have a lot of sage, so a lot of aromatic herbs and try to integrate herbal use with our vegetables. Um, we're growing beans, a couple different kinds, chard, beets, carrots, garlic tomatoes cherry tomatoes uh, a bunch of different types of peppers including a variety that does pretty well down here that i've found of sweet red peppers okra sweet potatoes corn cantaloupes a few surviving watermelon a lot of different winter and summer squash and then a ton of different perennial herbs and edible weeds. We have elderberry in this garden. We have St. John's wort, of course, a ton of plantain. Um, we have yarrow. Um, we have a bunch of stinging nettle that we use regularly. We have, there's a lot of naturally occurring things. We also have a few fruit trees and a lot of rubus varieties. So uh, blackberries and raspberries, probably leaving a couple little wee plants out, but they'll be okay. <laughs> We have raised beds, which we actually cut down from a local farmer's land uh, who we have a relationship with and she let us fell some trees out there. Taught ourselves to do it, um, felled some trees, brought them here. They were driven in with some kind of rebar poles and they're a little awkward in my opinion because I trip on them a lot, and, but they're kind of cu cute. And then we filled those with soil, which has been amended various ways over the last few years. And we try to monitor the soil. I'm not a super soil expert, but mostly just roll with compost and composting and adding that. And then I've been making comfrey ferments or nettle ferments, like compost teas kind of. 
we have been and are continuing to fertilize with that. So it's all organic, basically. It's all natural. We're not dumping chemicals in. We're going to do a lot more cover cropping this fall, which we haven't really mastered that um, due to, I think, just like keeping people here consistently has always been one of our challenges. But we have a nice crew right now. Actively right now, I'd say three of us are like like keeping the plates spinning collectively. Like we're really... Um, organizing together we're planning together two of us have a lot of growing experience and the other one has other types of experience administration people experience and wants to learn and then there's like another five to ten people that may or may not show up on a semi-consistent <laughs> regular basis um, and then there's always new people popping by and people are very interested a lot of people are very interested in the medicinals and so we're trying to build both infrastructure for for harvest and keeping those things around and distributing them and also to just teach people so herb walks and workshops and like how to make medicine. Um, the patch that's furthest from us is also interplanted with mugwort and which actually grows pretty great together the raspberries and the mugwort um, or blackberries and then um, we just like made these rows uh, we made trenches and then filled them like hilled them back over and um, planted these blackberries which were donated to us and raspberries and then I don't know people a bunch more appeared and that that happens a lot things just appear and come here and then they get planted and and these all did did really good and you can just see how monstrous they are and how many berries are on here which is going to be really exciting for our food distribution we do sometimes let people take on a bed um, it doesn't usually get maintenance all season like the whole growing season um, so we just basically have, it would be comparative to like a board, only it's more like a voluntary group of people or a collective or something. And the people who are like mostly here are the ones who are mostly active in decision making. It's kind of loose. Um, we don't have that like as bylaws or anything. There is sort of like a manifesto about the politics of the garden and um, the kind of space that we want it to be that is open for, you know, development to we just decide together and we use like a signal thread to do most of our coordinating and then we meet up and we talk and it's basically like who's showing up who's doing the work and right now that happens to be three women and two of us are mothers and that's it's nice to have our kids here playing by themselves and not complaining the whole time <laughs> you know there's a lot of other people that work here but they either have full-time jobs or or that gets hot and they kind of just don't want to come come over the summer you see a, a big influx of volunteers in spring and fall but less when it's like 90 like right now our concept of it being a community garden is a anyone can come and harvest anytime b anyone can garden here as long as they're like you know not super and we'll, we'll also i'm super willing and happy to do like those little kind of educational things on the side when it is just like random people coming up you never know what people's entry point is to where you're at and i try to just be flexible about like i mean there's a lot of um sexism you might encounter or something and i try to guide that and tell people my boundaries and it usually is fine and usually people like help out and work or they take off they do whatever so so far so good without too much like formality so it feels like a very autonomous project and then we deliver food um to the neighborhood and that's something we just started doing with any kind of consistency it's gotten done um off and on in the past 
years. This year we're like trying to track it. We're trying to know our neighbors. We're going to hopefully be inviting them down here more often. It's not a quid pro quo, but it's like we want theoretically all the people who live around a garden to be tending it and like this could be their their garden space. But you know, some people have their own garden. Some people don't want to do that. So it's not like a forced thing. It's just that we want to have more investment by the residents directly around. And so anyway, so far we've delivered almost all the way down Oak Street every week for the last few weeks between like three and seven pounds of produce and we're going to continue that and it's going to be increasing with with everything coming on and we're really excited and everyone down the road is just like loves it their housing project right up here and it's mostly folks with disabilities and so they're really into it because they they're less mobile they don't drive and they love when we bring food around so we take it to every single house over there and it's just everyone's down and we you know we want to keep inviting them here but we're also make a lot of space for people to have their own agency in that and not feel like like they have to work for food or something the Carbondale Spring Food Autonomy Initiative it's one of the four initiatives of the municipal project of the Carbondale Spring, which is to defund the police and allocate those funds from the cutting their budget towards programs and services that will actually work for human beings to like live, you know. <laughs> Food autonomy is one of the initiatives. And so for that, right now, what it looks like um, is three to five basically gardens that are being supported by a board of directors composed of garden coordinators from those gardens plus some other folks. And we're basically envisioning what does it look like to build some kind of food quote security um, and I say that word knowing there's a lot of unpacking there so we're calling it autonomy food autonomy which is that anyone has access to healthy organic free food and they shouldn't have to pay for it and it shouldn't be like this is just like a part of the dignity of living that we, we all should have access to so basically there's five gardens um, there's Washington Street Garden participating. There's the Addicts Community Services Farm that's participating. The Red Hen Garden. There's a new tiny garden that's going to be teaching with kids, I think. And then there's the Birch Street Food Forest, which we aren't doing a ton of work on, but like as a part of, of all of this, of course. And there's potentially more gardens in the future. But for now and for the season, we've landed a very small grant that we're using to pay for labor hours at all of these gardens and one of them was like completely started almost from scratch this spring the farm the biggest one the rest of us got a lot of resources levied our way like compost wood chips just collectively organizing to get these things delivered and dumped uh, by donation or or spending the grant money um and then we try to like help each other with harvest or labor or other infrastructure tasks that need doing and um, we're definitely trying to coordinate for distribution of the food and understanding how much food we're actually putting into the community and how many hours it takes to do that. And there's this really awesome thing called the Southern Illinois Collaborative Kitchen Project, which is not our project, but it's a good friend's project. So anyway, the project has big aims very far down the line in terms of like wanting to have community or possibly scaling up to a region of production that is accessible to everybody off the market. Jessica then put us in touch with one of the folks behind the Southern Illinois Collaborative Kitchen. 
My name is Leah Maciel, and I'm one of the owners at Cristado's Cafe, Bakery, and Catering. We shut our restaurant down around March 17th with the shelter-in-place order from the state. And why we were doing that, we were just trying to figure out, you know, what we could do in the meantime. Because we're a catering company as well, so if people can't come sit down and eat and we don't have catering jobs, it kind of hurts the business a little bit. And so we were just talking about it and we noticed that Boys and Girls Club were giving away dinners for people who needed food for the evenings because the schools were supplying like breakfast and lunch. So we reached out to the organizer over there and we then we joined up with another local business person, uh, William Lowe, who is the manager over at Nukahala. And we decided to form a group called the Southern Illinois Collaborative Kitchen and just trying to help feed people during this time. And from what we understood, talking to members of our community, the Boys and Girls Club, the school districts and stuff like that, there's people were really food insecure, especially for evening meals and especially on the weekends. So uh, William Lowe also runs a Facebook group called Southern Illinois Eats. So he had a lot of contact with local restaurants. So we we started doing was, oh, can buy food, like ready to heat meals from these restaurants. And then that money would go into basically making meals for the community who needed it. That's pretty much how it started. And we're still doing that. And we are feeding roughly about almost 200 meals every Saturday to go to people who need them. We do, you know, some of the North East side of Carbondale, we do the Boys and Girls Club and we do the Carbondale Warming Center. And now we're kind of looking into making that a nonprofit so we can keep doing it. And we're also looking into uh, maybe trying to get a community kitchen up and running because we just don't think that the restaurant industry is going to be the same quite yet. It's just an idea that we had last week. So we're still trying to get all our ducks in a row on that one. But we do know that there are a lot of uh, groups in Carbondale who don't have access to a facility. People like the uh, Carbondale Spring Food Autonomy, they have gardens but nowhere to process these things or can. And we do know small farmers who have the same problem if they can't sell their produce fresh from the farms, they don't really have a way to process it and then sell it as a different product. And we do have some plans going to reopen the bakery, but it's pretty much just going to be like a order out the door and pick up, but not a come in and sit down quite yet. You're distributing on Saturdays only to about 200 families. Is that what you said? That's correct. We prepare or purchase the food and then other people basically distribute it out into their communities. And so the donations coming in from people purchasing meals on Saturday from the Collaborative Kitchen, through their donations, we are able to reach out to other restaurants. So for instance, this Saturday, uh, Pat's Barbecue in Murfreesboro, we were able to pay them a little over food costs and provide the packaging for them to supply 125 meals to the Boys and Girls Club. Uh, Women for Change is an organization in Carbondale and they, they come in on Saturdays to pick up 50 meals to distribute in their community. And then Addicts Community Services as well picks up 50 to distribute in their community as well. As of right now, it's basically we try to find someone to do the Boys and Girls Club. And then Nicholas and I prepare about 100 meals for addicts and women for change. And then we also do like one to two different types of entrees for customers to purchase anywhere between 7 to $10 a meal that they can pick up on Saturdays to take home to reheat.
had you thought very much about food insecurity? Were you aware of that issue in the Carbondale community or is this something that's more recently come to light? Well, we were always aware of it. Cristados as a business has done a lot of uh, donating to like the Women's Center in Carbondale and Good Samaritan House, which is a soup kitchen in Carbondale. But I don't think we realized exactly how large of a scale it was until now. And being a business, we were just constantly, the four owners were just, we were just running around trying to succeed in the business world of our restaurant and catering. So actually COVID let us slow down to figure out what else we could be doing. But this was just something that we really, really felt passionate about and that wanted to do. And we have the skill set to do it because we are a catering company as well. Uh, We're used to feeding large amounts of people. And uh, Nicholas and I run a camp every summer that, of course, has been canceled. So we're used to feeding about, you know, 120 to 150 kids every day, seven days a week for four weeks. The learning curve on making the food or that much food wasn't really that hard. It was mostly just trying to figure out how to get it out to the people who needed it. We also took a tour of the Crispus Attics Urban Farm, located near the Washington Street Garden, and spoke to some of the gardeners who work on that project. Wall Street, which is like one of the further streets over here on the northeast and across the street from a park and a mosque and there's a big garden here and we're coming up to some folks who have been working this garden hard and long and it's looking great y'all. Hi, my name's Jacob Bolton. I'm working with alongside my buddy Grant Depoy over here at Attic's Urban Farm to grow a whole variety of plants, a polyculture. Um, we're also raising trees and developing plans for an agroforestry center. We're working in tandem with Carbondale Spring Food Autonomy, as well as Attics Community Services and the Muslim Center here in Carbondale, Illinois. Uh, hello, I'm, I'm Grant DePoy. Uh, I just graduated forestry from SIU here with my buddy Jacob Bolton, and uh, we're, we've been taking on larger roles in this one garden, Attic's Urban Farm, which is one of three community gardens on the northeast side of Carbondale. Attic's Urban Farm is, say, a little over half an acre. We have this half acre, it's like a long rectangle and we're divided up into four quadrants. The first quadrant's mostly greens this year. We have some onions, potatoes, but mostly like lettuce, beets, and uh, cabbage, collard greens. The second quadrant we have is 50 feet, and it's planted with turnips. We have cabbage, we have cucumber growing. You know, we're also using this space as an outdoor laboratory, so we're kind of experimental with a lot of the techniques we're trying out. We're kind of trying out different forms of trellises in different spots using bamboo or recycled metal fencing. Uh, Lots of tomatoes. And then down at our third quadrant, is it's a 90-foot section which is almost entirely planted with sweet potatoes. So we're gonna have very large harvest. Each of these quadrants is six beds long right now. Our first quadrant's eight beds long and our second and third are both six rows long. And down at the end, our fourth quadrant is also about uh, 70 to 80 feet long. And we've not tilled it up yet, but like Jacob said, we're gonna be turning that into a agroforestry center slash learning area for more integrated forest garden uh, methods. 
Jacob and I, uh, having graduated forestry here, Carbondale Spring, food autonomy, and this garden have really created the platform for us to start living a life that's fully aligned with our values, being creating regenerative agricultural systems, defining our own pathway here into the world of jobs. This summer we'll be starting a model for a children's program, which we've created alongside Project Human X and Addicts Community Services called Mega Summer Camp, which will be taking place here at Addicts Urban Farm and the surrounding neighborhood, or Make Earth Green Again Summer Camp. And with these kids, we'll learn about gardening here. We'll take part in the collective food distribution of the Carbondale Spring Gardens, going on harvest parades. We'll be disseminating medicinal knowledge about native plants. We'll as well be sending the kids home with food and even giving them a small stipends for their assistance in building the community. Carbondale Spring started right after the eclipse had occurred here in southern Illinois. We got a lot of energy here to make the city as the locals really want it to be. Carbondale Spring Food Autonomy had been integrated into Carbondale Spring, headed by Chuck Paprocki, uh, who's been integral in the setup and financial aspects of food autonomy. Um, and he had collaborated between Imam Abdul Haq and others within the different branches of Carbondale Spring to be able to facilitate this garden alongside Washington Street Gardens and Little Red Hen Garden. We started Addicts Urban Farm about three and a half months ago. It was a large open grass field, a large rectangle. And we came out here with a bunch of tools that had already been given to the garden coordinators. The garden coordinators take a lot of inventory of the resources that we have flowing through the gardens. Their responsibility is to take down hours for volunteers as well as worker employees um, that are paid by a small donation, a donation, uh, not, not small, from a local man named Tom Grant. And that had been given to support paying regular gardeners and also getting resources. Over the process of the last three and a half months, we've turned this open dirt field into a thriving first year garden. Right now we're on Larch Street in Northeast Carbondale and we are at Red Hen Garden, which is coordinated by two lovely ladies um, who are a little bit older and they come out here very early in the a.m. They really into flowers. They're constantly, um, I think they have a little club that divides people's flowers in the neighborhood and then they like redistribute them. And they started this garden, I think two or three years ago, two years ago. This year with the help of Carbondale Springs Food Autonomy Initiative, it, they really got the resources they needed. We them build beds, got wood chips, helped them distribute those, compost, helped them unload it. Um, actually the, comp the truck that was delivering it like sunk in the mud and it almost turned over. That was really fun. Uh, <laughs> they really are great at just busting their butts and taking care of stuff. And it's obviously super adorable here. It's like a small garden with just plain box raised beds. Um, each one of their beds is labeled with a number also so that they can delegate tasks and identify harvests. Um, they have a lot of infrastructure for people, so they usually set up a hand washing station there. Like there's signage <laughs> and it's all painted white and cute, looks all farm standy. I really like their 
aesthetic, which is just DIY, upcycled, you know, hit it with some white paint and they have like little pops of red here. Beautiful flowers everywhere. This is a produce stand and I think all the gardens are interested in building one and they've been putting harvest in it and trying to shade it, probably revamp some aspects of it, maybe use some ice water in there. Um, we're still working on like whatever distribution model we're gonna land on, but it's maybe even a combo of putting things out on the street at the garden, delivering it, a parade <laughs> and a free market. Um, so we're all just sort of figuring out what works best. Right now we are at the Birch Street Food Forest, um, which is on Birch Street in the northeast of Carbondale. It is probably like two or three full city lots. Then there's an alley that divides it and there's another lot over there. And if you can see, there's a little garden plot there. It's sort of a side garden, side project, but it's, it's over there. We are across the street from the Irma Hayes Center which is a um, social building that received funding in the late 60s and then, um, or maybe a little later than that, actually 70s, and that funding was quickly lost. And now it's sort of this confusing place that is ran by a board and no one has a lot of access to, which is unfortunate. There's a playground there, but we have a lot of like ideas about maybe how this could be hopefully brought back to life in the future. When this project idea came, it was because of the neighborhood planting project and we had a lot of trees and I wanted to see a food forest happen in Carbondale, which did not have anything like that. There's always been like various tiny community gardens that never get fully grown, but I've been doing Washington Street Garden for a few years and thought a perennial food garden shouldn't take too much maintenance. We have dozens and dozens of species planted here, including a bunch of stuff you don't see that bloomed in spring, um, daffodils. Um, there's some walking onions in some of these plots, but it's primarily trees. So um, the oldest ones of which are three years old. So it's the hazelnuts, this American persimmon, there's some American black cherries, American plums, pawpaws that are over there. Those are all three years old. And then we installed some last fall. So we have Chinese chestnuts from interwoven permaculture, which is in Southern Illinois by the Ohio River. They're doing some really awesome stuff out there with trees and data collection and resilient plants for our climates. And I think that's extremely important work. They also gave us some blackberries, raspberries. Um, also, someone came and did some surprise plantings. I'm not sure that they lived. Um, I don't know what all the species of trees are over there, though. We're under right now a giant mulberry tree that like has just like prolific branching under it. So it just gets like hacked and trimmed out from underneath. But there's a bunch of elderberries here. And on the other side there, we have more elderberries planted and we're sort of trying to expand over there. And again, like integrating medicinals and perennial food crops. So I think we planted some asparagus. I don't know if it's coming up. Unfortunately, this land in particular, out of probably all the garden spots, but this one is just chock full of glass, compacted stones, bricks. At any rate, I'm pretty sure they just like backfilled all the land with it. Maybe that's just like a really common practice. But so everything that we do here beyond these trees, if we're going to do more plantings, we'll be building soil first, um, which we do have wood chips everywhere. The grass comes right back up through it. So we want to find some alternatives to that sort of backbreaking labor of wood chipping a football field, basically. This project brought a ton of people from the community. I got a $1,100 grant from the Sierra Club. Um, and raised money and of course the neighborhood planting project undergirded the whole thing because that's how all the trees initially got here and when we have extra trees we can plug them in 
into these spaces. There's a lot of work that could happen here right now, but we're kind of maxed out, max capacity with the other plantings, which are more about the immediate returns of calories. Um, this is obviously going to take a while to develop and start producing. To me, this reads like, maybe not for everybody, but for, for what we're trying to do for us internally, if, you know, it's a foundation. Planting trees is gonna take us much further than just like the seasonal work we're doing in the vegetable gardens. Both temporalities are necessary to do, like tend to, I think, in, in what we're trying to do. I spoke with Marilyn, a lifelong Carbondale resident who's deeply involved in these local gardens as well as projects in her own neighborhood to develop food security amongst her neighbors. My name is Marilyn Brown Tipton. I am pretty much a lifelong resident of Carbondale, Illinois. Grew up here, left for probably eight years and back in Carbondale. I currently live on the land that I was raised on, which we were pig farmers. As being a granddaughter of the first African-American female born here in Carbondale on June 21st, 1894, I have deep roots and passion for the future of the city of Carbondale. We were not only pig farmers, but we raised our own food so and shared it with the neighbors so when Carbondale Spring popped up I was right on board and was very interested and became a member and actually a board member of the Food Autonomy Board and I also have a chicken coop and so then I'm going to be responsible for taking care of some chickens and providing eggs to my neighborhood. I'm also a member of Carbondale Concerned Citizens, and we fight for racial injustice for anything that happens to the people in my neighborhood. Our goal is to have 12 gardens throughout the city. Um, right now we have three on the northeast side of town, which is predominantly Black, Hispanic, and white. And what we want to do is raise healthy vegetables, organic vegetables, herbs, and provide it to the neighborhood so people will learn how to eat healthy. That's what we're doing. So I'm very excited about it. We're committed. We have been planning this probably for eight months to a year, but after COVID-19, we had to just get going. So we had three gardens that had been planted in the past so that's where we decided to start and get those going and we were able to get funding to get the gardens and the chicken coops going we had been working on different grants and trying to get funding but when the COVID-19 came we had a generous gentleman to give us funding to get started immediately Growing up, as I said, we were farmers. And then growing up, every pretty much every household had gardens. So we grew our own food. My family, we grew everything. So there was no need to go to the grocery store. And then when I grew up, there were no big change grocery stores. So we farmed until mid-60s. So after my grandfather passed away, 
and my father had to get work other places. There was nobody really to run the farm. And then the big grocery chains actually move it into Carbondale. Gardening became something that was not as important. My father still had a garden until he was unable to do so. But uh, many of the neighbors, they stopped gardening because they were able to go purchase their food at the big chain stores. The impact from the gardens from our Carbondale Spring Food Autonomy has been wonderful because, you know, when you go into the grocery store, people tend to, they have very little money. And the vegetables, fresh fruit, they are so expensive, so they tend to leave them alone and then go try to buy meat and other canned stuff, which is not healthy. So with us providing fresh vegetables and some fresh fruit to the neighborhood, they're able to eat healthy and it's free. So they don't have to worry about trying to figure out if they're going to have cucumber or tomatoes that's, uh, what, $4 a pound, so they can still eat healthy. So I grew up with chickens. So when the chicken coop project came up i was a little nervous and excited at the same time so i did uh, agree to have a chicken coop put in my yard so what this is going to do is once the chickens come in and we get our coops totally done i will collect i will definitely take care of uh, the chickens and we are called chicken tenders I would take care of the chickens, and then once they start producing eggs, I will make sure that my neighbors have fresh eggs. I am a big fan of fresh eggs. They are much better, especially when I'm baking cakes. I'm a baker. So when I'm baking cakes, those fresh eggs are better for you. From my coop and the eggs that I gather from my chicks, then I would share them with my neighbors. My neighbors have been passing by and calling me saying, what are they doing in your backyard? I said, oh, I'm getting chickens. They were excited because most of them, most of my neighbors are people that's been here all my life. So they were used to having fresh eggs too. They are very excited about being able to have some fresh eggs. I am just totally excited about what we're doing. My land was poisoned uh, and well contaminated. We had a plant called Copper's Tie Plant, and it contaminated most of the land in the northeast side of Carbondale. They were a creosote production company that ran three shifts. So most of our land is contaminated. We're in the process of remediating my land through a mushroom remediation project. So I am excited about us expanding the gardens. I have 10 acres of land, and we're going to put a huge garden so we get the land cleaned up. I'm going to name it after my family, which is the Brown family, so it's going to be called the Brownsville Farm. And I am excited. We are moving along, able to provide the Carbondale community with fresh vegetables. My grandmother's canned. And see, my grandmother even made butter. We made everything. You know, we had a milk cow. 
we thought it was fun when we were churning, helping her churn it. But, you know, with the canning stuff, like I say, we just went away. My grandmother lived next door to me, so I was in her, her house all the time. So we we just missed out. They should have made us stay in the house and help. But, you know, we're kids, go play. You know, Southern Illinois is great for fruit. So you would go to the orchard and just bring back big barrels of peaches and apples. We did have grapevines. So she made grape jellies, jams, all the fruit was canned. So wintertime, she had, I guess it would be called the storeroom or a cold house. So you just went in and when it was time to cook, you just went in and you got a jar of green beans or you got a jar of soup mix to make soup with. And you just went in there and got what you needed. So there was no need to go to the grocery store. And like I said, we had chickens. So when it was time for a chicken, they would just go out and kill the chicken. And that's what, that's what we had. You know what I'm saying? So you knew it was fresh because you raised them. And in Carbondale, there really wasn't a um, grocery chain. We had corner stores. You know, a lot of the stuff you couldn't afford anyway from the corner stores. I'm excited about learning how to can and preserve, teaching other people. I'm excited about learning how to use the herbs as medicinal medicines. And it's just wonderful. I asked Marilyn, Jessica, and Nick what plants and food were each of their favorites to grow, harvest, and interact with. Here's what they said. I love the process of growing and harvesting. Our favorite, as far as being an African-American, we are with greens. So collard greens, turnip greens. I'm not a big mustard green fan. Fresh tomatoes, cucumbers, squash green beans. Growing up, my dad planted everything. But I guess my favorite would be greens. And I had a choice. It would be turnip greens and collard greens. That's my favorite. Basically, for us, it is preparing them with, we've always used like a pork product. And then you cook them so you have a pot and it's pretty much like a ham hock or smoked joel. In the past years, I've used smoked turkey and I am learning to stir fry with olive oil. But with the African-American heritage, when we prepare greens, it's always done with a meat. So once the meat is done, you put them in, maybe cook them for about an hour. So that that's our heritage way of cooking them, which is probably with the pork not as healthy. And like I said, I start using turkey tails, which gives it more flavor when I do the traditional way. And then again, I've learned how to eat them stir fried. I think like I literally will have a different answer for any given like season or time or experience I might be having, but rose is one of my favorites and it's incredible medicine for the heart. Rose teaches boundaries with its thorns, but it also softness and gentleness with its 
amazingly pleasant aroma and the, the petals. The petals are restorative to the body in so many different ways. Um, also, it's like vitamins, like vitamin C. The rose hips are nutritious. And it's just a beautiful plant that just like, I don't know, it's so pretty and grows in different ways, different climates. There's it's wild rose that just like dominates out in the woods, taking over. And it just has this power to it that's both like, it's like a dichotomous thing, I guess, between like the relationship between like the, the sharp thorns that are painful and then the soft gentleness of the rose and the rose's medicine. And I think that's really a useful medicine for people in our society and our culture who are experiencing and have experienced like long amounts of trauma and constant trauma. And rose is something that just really softens the heart and allows you to live from a more heart-centered perspective. And I'm someone who's like really closed down the heart and put up a lot of walls in, in like rose just in its like um, characteristics uh, so it's like archetype and in its medicine just like does that it breaks down the walls and it allows the heart to flow so rose what I like to do I've done this for a few years now and it, it's just like really satisfying is I like to make these little salads in the gardens in the mornings of usually kale and other kind of leafy greens but then also mustard and basically just like roll these things up into a little like salad roll up and to put like sage and basil in them too and it's just something that I really like so I guess like the mustard is the best the, the essential part of that I don't eat a lot of vegetables usually and so like when I do that I feel really good and I and it's just like a really like connective way to, to do that and I like meeting random people that are walking by and offering them salad roll-ups and stuff too. We have an update from members of the Food Autonomy Initiative who wrote us and said, quote, Chuck Paprocki, president of the Food Autonomy Initiative and founding member of the Carbondale Spring, suffered a stroke and heart attack at the end of November 2020. We are devastated. Chuck has not only been an elder to us, bringing over five decades of experience challenging capitalism and empire, but Chuck never stopped initiating new projects and providing steady spiritual guidance to see the projects of others through. Last summer, Chuck got a silly rap song written about him, which we'll use to close out the program. For my man Chuck. Generating love, we share the same mission 
bro, you know you do a lot. Working for every living being, and you don't stop. Running on love, cause it's infinite. Devotions in our blood, venerate supreme entity above. Chuck touched my heart, and now I know where to start. Thank you to Chitswar Roop, your love is the light of the dark. Chuck is doing it from the bottom of autonomous. With democracy, no more bureaucracy. Chuck is doing it from the bottom of autonomous. With democracy, no more bureaucracy. Chuck is doing it from the bottom of autonomous. With democracy, no more bureaucracy. Chuck is doing it from the bottom of autonomous. With democracy, no more bureaucracy. I want to thank Chuck for doing what he loves. He's providing translation to a deeper language. Growing food from the forest, call it restoration. He knows that we are a part of the whole ecosystem. Now I find myself working in a garden. Chuck's a catalyst, yeah, he is sparking. Chuck worked hard, applied for a grant. Now I shovel soil and I grow the plants. Because of Chuck, I figured out what I love. It's helping my community build resilience. In my own home, in my neighborhood, we can meet our basic needs, sheltered by the woods. Serving values and needs, Ananda Margie, a universal man, Chuck Pavaraki. Full of kindness, warm and toasty. We wrote this rhyme as your trophy. Chuck is doing it from the bottom of autonomous. With democracy, no more bureaucracy. Chuck is doing it from the bottom of autonomous. With democracy, no more bureaucracy. Chuck is doing it from the bottom of autonomous. With democracy, no more bureaucracy. Chuck is doing it from the bottom of autonomous. With democracy, no more bureaucracy. Chuck, 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 yeah, Chuck, Chuck. We'll check back in with the people and projects we featured on the show later, but in the meantime, you can keep up by going to carbondalespring.org. This has been Partisan Gardens. On this program, we are going to look at the world through the lens of food. We will speak directly to those with their hands in the dirt. But also to those in all sectors of the food world. To the servers and those being served. To the history of food in this country and beyond. We will focus on understanding the systemic problems in our food industry, including food scarcity and racism. We want to talk to you, too. Please write us at partisangardens at wfhb.org, and we will be in touch. This episode's only the beginning. In upcoming segments of Partisan Gardens, stay tuned to hear about the history of the pawpaw, how the food service industry deals with the coronavirus, and how food scarcity impacts our local food banks and community. Stay tuned.